You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. Uh, That means when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak to us. Uh, Today, we're going to read from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to chapter 2, verses 17. Please follow along uh, with your own Bibles. The screen will also be displaying uh, the text. Let's read God's Word together. This is the message we've heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying, and we are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, well, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know that we are from him, uh, sorry, that we know him, if we keep his com- commands. The one who says, I've come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, but hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, 
because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Well, friends, why don't you keep your Bibles open at 1 John 1, 5 to 2, 17, and follow along. It will really help, especially, well, in every sermon, but especially in this sermon, as you'll see. I know it's warm, and it's tiring, but in fact, God's Word is exactly what we need at every time of the day, and now more than ever. So why don't I pray for us as we continue to hear God speak. Now, gracious God, we pray that you might open our eyes this day, that we might behold wondrous things from your instruction. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. If uh, Some of you remember last week, you'll remember that I opened by giving you, in many ways, a diagnostic question. I asked the question, uh, if you were to die tonight, are you going to heaven? Can, can you be confident of your salvation? And what I want to do over this series is actually open each sermon, open each part of this letter by asking you a diagnostic question because the whole purpose of this book is to give us assurance, to give us confidence for us to know that we have eternal life. So, uh, here's my question. If your friends found out that you're a Christian, would they be surprised? If your friends found out that you're a Christian, would they be surprised? I know some of you are starting work this year. Here's my pro tip. Out yourself as a Christian on day one, it only gets harder. So if your friends found out that you're a Christian, would they be surprised? Now, let's face it, it could be a good surprise. They might think and assume that Christians are unkind and hateful people, so when they meet you, so full of love and kindness and love and joy, they're surprised that that's a good surprise, isn't it? But let's face it, it could also be a pretty bad surprise. What? Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, I just, I oh, know, I just thought that Christians are supposed to be, you know, different from everyone. I thought that Christians are supposed to be, I don't know, holy or something. But it's great. You're not like that. You're just like one of us. You've got the same interests as us. You've got all the same places that we go to. You even share in all of our same bad habits. Oh, it's great. I had no idea that that's what Christians are like. Imagine if your friend said that to you. Sting a little, right? In fact, I wonder, maybe you're not a Christian, Christian and you're here with us and you've thought that about people who call themselves Christians that you know. And that would be confusing, wouldn't it? Because deep down, there is an instinct in all of us which says that Christians, people in fellowship with God, we have to live lives that are consistent with what we believe. We need to walk the talk as such. And there are few greater obstacles to considering Christianity than that one big word, and it starts with H, and that's right, it's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Last week, uh, we saw the Apostle John writes this letter, chapter 5, verse 13, why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. 
And do you remember what he said? He began by telling us that a true Christian does two things. We believe the truth about Jesus and we belong to the fellowship of believers. We believe and we belong. They're two clear signs that you have eternal life. Today, we shift. We shift from believing and belonging to now behaving. You see, in this passage, John is telling us, fellowship with God is shown in living like Christ. Our fellowship with God is shown in our living like Christ. This is an uncomfortable passage for us Christians at times because it holds a mirror up to our lives. It makes us look at our own actions and it asks us this question, are you living in the light of Christ? Are you living in the light of Christ? Because how we behave shows where we belong. And how we behave shows what we believe. So, if you want to know that you have eternal life, there are three questions that you need to answer today. Number one, are you walking in the light? Number two, are you keeping God's commands? And number three, are you not loving the world? There are three questions, we'll go through them, don't worry if you miss them, we'll get them. Are you walking the light? Now, most of us, right, you don't have to be a Christian to do this, right? Most of us associate the light with good and darkness with bad, don't we, right? For those of you fans out there, Star Wars, the Force has both a light side and a dark side. For others of you who I know love these things, the capital of Gondor is the White Tower, while Mordor is protected by the Black Gate. So even on that level, right, it's not hard for us to guess what John means when he writes in verse 5, God is light, and there's absolutely no darkness in Him at all. Friends, he's saying that God is so pure in His perfections, He is untainted by anything sinful whatsoever. If you're a Christian, the God who you have a relationship with, He is holy, He is perfect, and He is pure. And if He is a God like that, if we are in fellowship with a God like Him, then surely in some way you and I would look like Him, right? If we're deeply connected with the God of light, then shouldn't we be shining, as, as one American president said, a thousand points of light? But that's not what we always see, is it? You see, we read here that God is light, but when we look at some people who at least call themselves Christians, all we can see is darkness. They don't shine like our God. Their lives are not marked by His holiness, His perfection or His purity. Do you see what I'm saying, right? Like, if God is so holy, you would expect Christians to look like Him. But so often when we see Christians, they look anything but like Him. They look more like the world in its darkness than they do like our God in His light. I'm not normally in the habit of quoting Gandhi, but he did say, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Oh, it's damning, isn't it? But kind of true. But let's face it, it's not hard for someone to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But when you look at their lives, sometimes you've got to wonder, right? You don't think you can wonder, but you do. Are they really? Because how we behave, it doesn't reveal what we say we believe. No, that's easy. We're just all talk, right? No, what, how we behave reveals what we actually believe. 
And that describes the condition of the Gnostics, the false Christians here in 1 John. They're falsely claiming to know God, but all the while, what are they doing? They're living in the darkness. They're living in sin. And John makes it super easy for us to know exactly what they think, because he responds to three of their false claims. You would have heard it out there in Wilkins Bible reading, right? Three of their false claims. Keep your Bibles open, let me show you. Chapter 1, verse 6, false claim number 1. John says, if we say we have fellowship with Him and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and are not practicing the truth. False claim number 2, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, we're lying to ourselves and the truth is not in us. False claim number three, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, can you see what's going on, right? Can you see what these false Christians are falsely claiming? They're saying, I know God, or I'm a true believer, I'm a Christian, but all the while, they're also saying, I'm not a sinner and I haven't sinned. Right, the Gnostics, these false Christians, they believe that if they freed themselves from this material world, if they reached and attained that enlightenment, that special knowledge, they'd somehow be free from sinning ever again. But I wonder, can you guess what happens when you think that nothing is sin? Right? If I think that nothing in this world is sin, what's going to happen? Well, if nothing is sin, then everything is sin right? Because ironically, if you think that you can never sin, I guarantee you, you're going to live the most sinful life of all, because now suddenly all the bets are off. They're all talk, but no walk. And John says, no, 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 if you claim to know God while you walk in the darkness and while you live in sin, then not only are you lying, no, it's worse than that, you're lying to yourself. And not even that, you're making God a liar. Let me paraphrase this entire passage. John's saying, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. The real question is, do you walk the talk? But let's face it, right, in our society, talk isn't cheap. In fact, talk is everything. Do you realize that sincerity now, sincerity is the mark of genuine faith? If I say, I'm a Christian, who are you to doubt me? Who are you to question me? Just imagine for a moment, right? If I were to confront a man who, let's say, is living the most godless and sinful life, but this man, he sincerely identifies as a Christian. Imagine if I were to tell him, look, mate, based on your life, I'm not sure that you really know God. What do you think he might say? How dare you? You can't tell me that I don't know God. You can't tell me who I am or what I am. I'm a Christian because I say I am. But if it were John confronting this man, as he is in this letter, he'd say, mate, talk is cheap. Do you walk the talk? You see, the genuineness of your faith isn't subjectively up for grabs. It's not somehow true as long as you're sincere. No, no, no. The genuineness of your faith can be objectively determined on one level. And it's concretely shown in how you live. If you want an objective test of the genuineness of your faith, you can say whatever you want. But the real question is this. Are you walking in the light of Christ? 
Are you walking in the light of Christ or are you walking in the darkness of sin? Because John tells us eternal life is incompatible with a sinful life. Eternal life is incompatible with a sinful life. I wonder, how does that make you feel? How does it make you feel to read that? I don't know about you, but when I kind of engage with this passage, it actually makes me feel a bit uneasy. Because I read that, eternal life is incompatible with a sinful life, and I then reflect on the sin in my life, and then I start to ask, gosh, am I really saved? Do I really have eternal life? Does my single sin undermine my entire salvation? But I want you to notice that John still presumes that true Christians still fall into sin. But when we do, notice there's always a path back to the light. There's always a path back to the light. Let me show you. Let me show you. Chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Chapter 1, verse 9. You will recognize this from our communion service. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2, verse 1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Friends, can you see what God is saying here, right? Or what John is saying here. If we walk in the light of Christ, when we stumble and fall, as we will, God will cleanse us from our sins, not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. When we walk in the light of God's holiness and yet we stumble and fall, we can still turn back to God. We can confess our sins and we don't have to worry or wonder if God might forgive us. We can be confident that He will forgive us. And we can claim Jesus as our advocate, the one who stands before God the Father and pleads our forgiveness on our behalf. We can claim Him as our atoning sacrifice, the one who bore the wrath of God in our place and saved us from the judgment of God. So if you're not a Christian, John is saying you're walking in the dark right now, but it doesn't have to be that way. All of this, chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 1, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 1, all of it is saying, mate, you can come to God with all your sin all your baggage, all your brokenness, all your shame, and if you confess it to God, if you seek His forgiveness, He will forgive you. And He will never turn you away. It's the best news you could imagine. And maybe for some of us, if we're believers who are, who are walking in the light, but can I say, don't be discouraged when you stumble and fall. It doesn't make it okay, but it will be okay. Return to God, for there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Fellow Christian, if there is sin in your life right now which you haven't yet confessed, can I urge you, bring it before God today. Don't wait any longer. Jesus died to save you out of your sin, so why would you ever want to stay there? No, confess your sin and don't worry or wonder, but know that God will forgive you. Bring your sin to Him, confident of your eternal life. 
And maybe you're someone who used to walk in the light. But many years ago, you walked away from the Lord. You used to call yourself a Christian. But it's been so long since you've walked with Jesus. But here you are. Hear this. You can come home to God today. You can rejoin the fellowship of believers of God and His people. And all you have to do is to come clean with God. It's not complicated, it's just hard. But if you do, He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you and He'll take you back. You don't need to walk in the darkness any longer. Come home. Walk in the light of Christ. Enjoy fellowship with God and His people forever. How do I know that I have eternal life? Question one, are you walking in the light? Question two, are you keeping God's commands? Just look at uh, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. This is how we know that we know Him, if we keep His commands. Don't you just love it when it's that clear, right? Our obedience to God is the clearest evidence of our fellowship with God. It's quite simple, actually. How do I know that I actually know God? Look at your life. Do you live as someone who knows the Lord? Because our obedience doesn't just confirm our fellowship with God. Notice, it's it's even more than that. Verse 5 says, it completes, it fills out, it brings to its climax our love for God. Whoever keeps His Word, truly in Him the love of God is made complete. I'm not a dad, but I want you to imagine for a moment there's this boy who runs up to his dad and says, Daddy, I love you. And his dad goes, I love you as well. And and if you want to do anything in this family, right, don't just love me. Love your brother and stop hating on your sister, right? And in that moment, his son goes, oh, I love you, but nah, not happening, never. Now, in that moment, the son, it's not just that he's failing to love his brother or sister. He's actually failing to love his dad, isn't he? Because if he loved his father, he would listen to him, he would trust him, he would follow him. But that's exactly what John's saying here now. If you want to know that you have eternal life, ask yourself, are you keeping God's commands? What does it look like to keep God's commands? Look at verse 6, to walk as Jesus walked, to live in perfect obedience to the Father, to live out of a deep love for his people. Now, just let me hit the pause button for a moment. I know what some of you are thinking, right? This is pretty basic stuff. I mean, if you've been around church for a while, none of this is particularly new, is it? You know, love one another, obey God, keep walking with Him. It's not new, it's not rocket science. There's nothing exactly surprising about what we find in these verses. We know that obedience is the clearest evidence of faith. That feeling of, I already know this, right? It's pretty much what John is saying in verse 7. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. Can you hear what he's saying? Guys, you know this. This isn't anything new. Keep doing what you know to be right and true. But then it gets really awkward. You either think that John has a senior's moment or someone tampered with the Bible, but in the very next verse, he seems to contradict himself. Yet I am writing you a new commandment. Wait, right? So in verse 7, John isn't writing a new commandment, but in verse 8, he is writing a new commandment, and you're thinking, what's going on? 
And if you're not a Christian, and maybe you're a little bit skeptical about the Bible, right? You might see those two verses go, aha, there it is. There's a contradiction in the Bible and we can't trust it. Not so fast. Not so fast. John 13, 34, what does Jesus say? I give you a new command, love one another just as I've loved you. You are to love one another as well. So, on, on the one hand, you get what I'm saying, right? This isn't a new command, because Jesus said it 50 years ago, and you've known it for a good half century by now. But it is a new command, because, well, that's what Jesus called it. And, and it's new, because back in 1 John 2, 8, it's true in Him, it's true in Jesus. That the command to love one another is new, because it's personified in Jesus, who loved you to the point of death. Let's take a step back. What's John saying? If you want to know that you have eternal life, this is what you need to ask yourself. Are you keeping God's commands? But, not just any of His commands, are you loving one another just as Jesus has loved you? Because the clearest evidence of your fellowship with God and your love for God is whether you love one another. Let me, let me repeat that one more time, right? What's John saying? If you want to know that you have eternal life, ask yourself, are you keeping God's commands? Obedience is the clearest evidence of faith. But he's not just talking about any of his commands. There's something he's thinking about in particular. Are you loving one another just as I've loved you? Love is the greatest command. So, the clearest of evidence of your fellowship with God is not just obedience generally. The clearest evidence of your fellowship with God is love. But let's be honest, so many so-called Christians, and let's face it, even Christians, don't live in love, do we? But instead, we live in hatred. It's not the world that we hate. So often, we hate each other. Now, I know what you're thinking, Adam, hate's a strong word, isn't it? And very few of us will say, oh, just hate that other Christian. If you've said that, there's a warning, but most of us will not say that. But for some of us, there are people in our lives who have hurt us, who have harmed us, who have even betrayed us, and it almost feels justified, righteous, correct, defensible, and right for us to be bitter, resentful, and unforgiving, to hold grudges against one another. In our first year of church, we preached through through Ephesians, and we got to chapter 4. People remember this, but I can't remember it. Someone said, don't forget, closeness breeds conflict. Closeness breeds conflict. It's true, isn't it? In church life, that's what happens. So we might not say, oh, I hate them, but we'll say something like this. Oh, no, I just don't like them. They're dead to me, really. Don't want anything to do with them. You know what? Give me in the same church. Just avoid them forever. I'm all pro-church planting. When you plant the next church, let me go there, right? Even better, send them there, right? But John says in chapter 2, verse 11, The one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I mean, that's terrifying, isn't it? Fellow Christian, if you're acting like someone who lives in the darkness, if you're holding hatred and bitterness in your heart against a fellow believer, John says, be very, very careful. You're dividing the fellowship of believers. You're defying the words of God. But it's that last part of verse 11 that scares me, right? 
Because if you walk in the darkness for long enough, it'll start to blind you to your sin. It'll start to harden your heart. It'll start to lead you astray. In the words of John Owen, every unmortified or unkilled sin, it'll do two things for sure. Number one, it'll weaken the soul and deprive it of its vigor. Secondly, here it is, it'll darken the soul and deprive it of its comfort and peace. Don't do it! Don't go there. But Adam, you you just don't know how deeply they hurt me. It's just so hard for me to love them. I get it. I get it. But how deeply did we hurt the Lord Jesus? How hard must it have been for Him to love us that He might sweat drops of blood? And yet He did. And still He does. He loved us with an everlasting love that covers a multitude of sins. So if we are to love as Jesus has loved us, then ours must be a love that is radically forgiving and full of mercy and grace. I know it doesn't happen overnight, right? It might take a long time to get there. But you cannot indefinitely divide this fellowship. You cannot hate a brother or sister for whom the Lord Jesus has died whom Jesus had brought into fellowship with you, whom He has called you to love. Don't walk in the darkness. Keep God's commands. Love one another. It's just like John said, right? This isn't anything new. I mean, if you call yourself a Christian, you'll know exactly, right? We've been called by Christ to love by Christ, to love like Christ. But so often we don't need to learn anything new, we just need to be reminded of what we already know over and over and over again, which is why John has written this letter. Let me capture verses 12 to 14 for you. He tells us six times his purpose in writing. He writes to you, little children, by which he means the whole church. And he writes to our older and younger members, both fathers and young men. And this is what he reminds them in these verses. Your sins have been forgiven. You've already come to know the Father. You've already conquered the devil. So what's the implication of that? Don't doubt. Don't despair. Don't give in to sin. Don't follow those false Christians who are leading you astray. Now hold the line. Remind yourselves of the realities that you know to be true. And most of all, keep loving one another. Because love is the greatest commandment and it is the clearest evidence of our eternal life. If you want to be sure that you have eternal life, don't just walk in the light. Keep God's commands by loving one another. Thirdly, finally and briefly, are you not loving the world? Are you not loving the world? Let's face it, right? How we live is shaped by what we love or who we love. If we love someone, we'll necessarily live for their joy, won't we? If we love our spouse, our child, our friend, we'll devote the best of our time and energy to please them and to make them happy. So if we want to keep God's commands, well, there's no way we can do it unless we love the Lord. But... If we love the world, we will not love the Lord. 
And if we do not love the Lord, we will not know the Lord, and nor will we live for the Lord. It all starts with who you love. So it's not for no reason that John closes this passage with a warning in verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And he specifically warns us against three worldly loves. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride in one's possessions. It's funny, isn't it? This letter, it was written uh, centuries ago, but can I tell you, its diagnosis of the human heart is classically timeless. Because all of us, I want to say without exception, are tempted to chase the things of this world. All of us, without exception, are tempted to gratify the desires of our flesh. What we see is what we want, and what we want is what we must have. And here's the worst part about it. We live in a society that is awash with stuff and with money. And if you have just enough money, we can pretty much buy every desire of our flesh. I know we come here, right, and we sing, you know, how much we love the Lord, but let's face it, right, we love the world. We love our stuff. Our cars, our, our technology, our, our houses, our investment properties, our, our clothes, our accessories, our food, our lifestyle, our security and our comfort. Just admit it. We love it. I'll be the first one. My name is Adam and I love the world, right? We love the world. John warns us, be very careful. Because in verse 15, do you notice, we'll either love the world or we'll love the Father. There's really no in-between. If we love the world, we'll live for the world, we'll chase the world, and we'll walk in darkness. But if we love the Father, we'll live for His Son, we'll keep His commands, and we'll walk in the light. There's just no in-between. I wonder, I've felt this, but I wonder if you've felt this before, that pull of the world of buying more and more stuff generally online. And as we do, you can feel your heart slowly changing, can't you? You can feel your loves being directed away from the Lord and toward the world. You can feel your affections being reconditioned not to please the Lord, but to gratify yourself. You can feel your love for the Father just being dulled. Be very careful. Because in the end, we'll either love the Father or we'll love the world. Choose wisely. I hope, though, you can see that loving the Father is so much more worth it. Because verse 17 tells us, the world with its lust is passing away. It's a short-term investment. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Do you see, friends, the longest-term investment you can ever make is to love the Father and things to do with His kingdom. Because if you love the world, you'll live like the world and you'll live for the world. But this world is passing away. And when it does, with it will go your loves and your life. Don't let it happen. But if you love the Lord, if you live for the Lord, if you live like the Lord, you will keep His commandments and unlike this world, the will of God will remain forever and guess what? So will you. So will you. 
So there's the three questions, right? Adam, how do I know that I have eternal life? Well, let me ask, are you walking in the light? Are you keeping God's commandments to love one another? And are you loving the Father and not this world? So let me ask, if your non-Christian friends found out that you were a Christian, would they be surprised? They could be surprised for all the bad reasons, couldn't they? They could be surprised because they see that our lives are no different from theirs, that we live in the darkness of this world. But I want you to see this as an opportunity, right? We could also actively surprise our friends, but for all the good reasons. And that's my challenge for us. Why not, right? Why not this week surprise your friend because you, they see that you are walking in the light and that light is the life that they can find in Jesus. Why not surprise your friends because they see you keeping God's commands to love and not hate in a world that is so full of hate. Why not surprise your friends because you just don't love this world or the things they love. Instead, you love the Father and you live for a greater world to come. Surprise them for all the best of reasons. Brothers and sisters, may we all seek to live lives that are a surprise to our friends because we are living with a deep confidence that all because of Jesus, we know that we have eternal life and we live for the world to come. Let me pray. God is light, and in Him there is absolutely no darkness at all. And so, Heavenly Father, we ask that we might shine as lights in this world, so that this world might see the glories of the Lord Jesus. We ask, God, that we might look to You and Your Son, our Advocate, our atoning sacrifice, who enables us to come and walk in the light, though we have once walked in the darkness. And for all of us, God, who are burdened and laden with sin, we confess them to you right now and ask that in your kindness that you would be faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Equip us, enable us, purify us to walk in the light and live lives of righteousness all for your glory. These things we ask and pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.